As has already been stated, we're so thankful for everyone's presence this morning. We do have uh, lots of visitors, and I won't even begin to attempt to point any out because I know I would leave someone out. But we're thankful for everyone's presence, no matter where you're from. Um, our lesson this morning, as you can see, is taken from Mark, the 10th chapter. I think a familiar passage, and um, we'll get to the text in just a moment. But before I do that, just as a little introduction. Um, several years ago, an author named Robert Fulgham wrote a best-selling book called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Some of you may be familiar with that. Here are a few of uh, the lessons he said he learned in kindergarten. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Those are all pretty good lessons, not only for children to learn, but probably lessons that we all as adults need to be reminded of as well. And while I disagree that all of life's lessons can be learned uh, in kindergarten at an early age of, of five or six years old, I do think that Mr. Fulgham uh, makes a point that was actually first taught by Jesus in our text. In Mark, the 10th chapter, there beginning with verse 13, we read, Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus' point here was that there are some important things that children know and understand that somehow we as adults forget. And so this morning for a little while, we want to study the, the importance of children and what it was that Jesus saw in them that is so essential to our Christian life. There's a story told about a father who uh, tucked his little boy into bed one night and then went back down the hall to his desk to work. And after a moment, he heard a small voice from the boy's bedroom saying, Dad, can I have a glass of water, please? No, go to sleep, his father replied. After a few minutes more, the request was repeated. Dad, I'm thirsty. Can I have a glass of water, please? Again, his dad refused. No, go to sleep. A few minutes passed. And those familiar words again. Dad, I'm really thirsty. Can you get me a glass of water, please? And this time, exasperated, the father said no. And if you ask me again, I'm going to spank you. There was a moment of silence. And then the boy made his final plea. Dad, when you come in to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water, please? Now, unfortunately, that's the view that many people have of children, not just late at night when they're trying to get work done, but all the time. They think of children as nothing more than a nuisance. But obviously in our text, Jesus um, did not hold that viewpoint. Now, it appears that perhaps the disciples did, but again, Jesus clearly did not. It's obvious that Jesus put great emphasis and value on children. And he went so far as to use them to teach those around him an important lesson. That to get into the kingdom of heaven, they must be like children. And that, in fact, children are to be our example. And I think that's surprising, maybe, until we really start to think about it. But again, especially for those who think of children as a nuisance... You want me, a grown man, to use a child as an example? Well, that's exactly what Jesus said. History tells us that it was normal 
in Jesus's time for people to bring their children to any respected rabbi for them to be blessed uh, by him. Now, what exactly this blessing entailed, um, I'm not sure. Matthew's account in Matthew 19 says that they wanted Jesus to lay his hands on their children and pray for them. And certainly because of his reputation for healing, I can imagine that some would have also brought their children to Jesus so that he could heal them of any sickness or, or physical ailment that they might have had. Whatever the purpose, this is why there often seem to be children around Jesus. According to experts, the verb that Mark uses here, or the tense of that verb, suggests that the parents kept on bringing their children to Jesus. In other words, they were persistent. And apparently this persistence started to get to the disciples, and so they rebuked those who were bringing the children. As I said before, maybe they viewed children as a nuisance. Uh, maybe they thought Jesus was just too important to be disturbed, that his time on this earth was too valuable to be bothered with, with insignificant children, so to speak. Well, whatever their reason for trying to, to drive the children away, Jesus apparently did not appreciate that. The New King James Version, as we read it, said he was greatly displeased. Other versions make that a little bit stronger. Uh, you can read in other versions where it says that he was indignant, that he was angry. One version even says that Jesus was furious at the disciples. And those are not emotions that we see too often in Jesus. And so that should prove to us just how much Jesus valued children. As the old song says, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And so he took those children up in his arms and he blessed them. And then he used them, as we said, to teach a valuable lesson to his disciples and to us as his followers as well. And so again, this morning, we want to, to study what the disciples hopefully learned from this scene and what we should learn from it as well. Well, first of all, I think it's important for us to note that um, Jesus blessed the children to show their great value and worth. Again, the disciples tried to keep the people from bringing the children to Jesus. No doubt they had their reasons and, and they may have been perfectly sincere about it. As we said, they may have resented this, this imposition on the master's time. They may have even made the mistake of thinking that the needs of these children weren't that important. Uh, but if that's the case, then they were quite forgetful because Jesus had already told them how important it was to receive children. And it really hadn't been that long ago. Just a few verses back in Mark, the ninth chapter, um, we read in verses 36 and 37, Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Matthew's record of, of this previous lesson about children is even more extensive. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, we read, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth 
of the sea. Skipping down to, to verse 10 there, uh, Jesus continues his lesson about children. He says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I have to admit, I don't know what that means. But he goes on to say, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Notice from verse 14 that children are so valuable to Jesus and his Father that he doesn't want to lose even one. As I was saying, Jesus had already tried to teach the disciples how important children are and how important it is to receive them. It's no, it's, and so it's no wonder that he became indignant, perhaps even furious, when just a few days later, it seems, they had already forgotten his teachings and they were already trying to push these children away. The Bible always portrays children as a blessing, uh, not a burden. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, the psalmist said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Like Jesus, we should invest time in our children by being involved with them, letting them know how much we love them and how much God loves them. And there will be some, perhaps, like the disciples in this story who don't get it, uh, they don't realize the great value of children, but, but we can't afford to let their ignorance stand in our way. Sitting in a, a little chair with your daughter at a make-believe tea party is every bit as important as sitting at the table with an important business associate. Throwing the ball to your son in the backyard is every bit as important as a major sales pitch in your corporation. And most certainly, their spiritual welfare is of utmost significance. Children are valuable. We cannot overlook it. We need to touch their lives every chance that we get because that's exactly what Jesus did. But next, I think another important lesson that we need to gain from this story, not only uh, did Jesus show the disciples what the great worth and value of children are, but I think he also blessed them for the children's benefit, for their uh, own good. Counselors agree that the first meaningful part of a blessing others is a loving touch. In fact, I want to share a story with you that I read not too long ago that, that I found so sad. Um, there was a reporter from the New York Times several years ago who was interviewing Marilyn Monroe, the well-known um, movie star and, and a Hollywood idol. She was aware, this reporter that Marilyn had a, a rather sad past. Um, and during her early years, Marilyn had been shuffled from, from one foster home to another. And so the reporter asked Marilyn Monroe, did you ever feel loved by any of the foster families with whom you lived? And Marilyn's response was this. Once, when I was about seven or eight, the woman who I was living with was putting on makeup and I was watching her she was in a happy mood, and so she reached over and patted my cheeks with a little puff from her rouge. 
And from for that moment, I felt loved by her. And most of us would consider that an, an insignificant moment that probably would have been soon forgotten. But the reporter said that, that Marilyn Monroe had tears in her eyes when she remembered this event. The touch lasted only a few seconds. It had happened years before. And most likely, the woman had done it in a, a casual, playful way, not even really trying to show warmth or, or meaning. But as small of an act as that was, it was like pouring buckets of love, if you will, on the life of a little girl that was starving for affection. I hope we all realize the importance of, of a loving touch to a child, hugging them and rocking them and showing them the love that they need and, and deserve. But that's not the only way that, that Jesus blessed these children. He did, in fact, touch them and hold them. But Matthew's account suggests that perhaps he also prayed for them. We, too, certainly need to pray for our children. More than ever, our children need God's helping hand to protect them from, from the harm that this old world offers, both physical and spiritual. Pray for their teachers and their principals. Pray for good friends that will be an influence for good and not bad. And don't just pray for our own children and grandchildren. Pray for children everywhere because they are, after all, the, the future of the world. I like this little prayer that I found by Amy Carmichael, a poem, if you will. She said, Father, hear us, we are praying. Hear the words our hearts are saying. We are praying for our children. Keep them from the powers of evil, from the secret hidden peril. Father, hear us for our children. From the world's hollow gladness, from the sting of faithless sadness, Father, Father, keep our children. Through life's troubled waters, steer them. Through life's bitter battles, cheer them. Father, Father, be thou near them. And wherever they may abide, lead them home at eventide. But I think there's one more way that, that Jesus wanted to bless these children. And that was to save them. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We believe that young children, which I assume these were, uh, that they are already in a saved condition when it comes to their eternal soul. In other words, we do not agree with false doctrines such as innate sin, the belief that a, a child is born in sin. We do not believe in infant baptism, that a baby needs to be baptized or, or any such thing as that. To be saved, after all, we must obey the gospel. And before baptism... That also includes believing, which a baby cannot do. And it includes repentance, something that a baby or a young child cannot understand or even needs for that matter. And it includes confessing, again, something that a baby cannot do. And so again, there is no need for a child to be saved. They are in a saved condition. But at some point in their life, every child reaches that age and that maturity when they do understand the difference between right and wrong, and they do realize that they have sinned. And they have the ability to understand what Jesus did to save them from their sins. And they have the maturity to scripturally obey the gospel and to realize what they're doing. The age of accountability, we often call it. That time comes for everyone who lives long enough. So let's go back to the account there in, in Matthew 18. I think I skipped a slide. There it is. Um, and notice again verse 6. It says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck 
and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, as I've already said, it's impossible for babies and young children to sin. And so what did Jesus mean here by one of these little ones sinning? How could you cause them to sin if it's impossible for them to sin? Well, again, at some point, children do reach the age and maturity where they do realize what's right and wrong. That may be years down the road. But at some point, they are accountable for their actions and their sins. And so Jesus is saying, I believe, that we are responsible, or if we are responsible, for causing one of these accountable children to sin down the road, if you will, then we are in big trouble with him, to say the least. But I think there's more to this than, than just causing an accountable young person to sin. Perhaps some of these children were already at that age. But uh, again, once a child does reach the age of accountability, whether or not a child is, is saved at that point depends greatly on what they have seen, and what they have heard, and what they have learned up until that point. And that's certainly where we as adults come in. I think the Bible makes it very clear that we as parents and grandparents and guardians and, and just Christians in general, we all have the responsibility to bless, if you will, children that we have an influence over by being good examples for them and showing them the right way. Certainly that includes teaching them God's will. They need to hear God's word taught both at home and during the worship of the church. But even more than that, they need to, to see the gospel lived out. They need to learn from our example the way to salvation. You know, the old saying says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. And that's certainly the case when it comes to our responsibility towards children. If we as parents or grandparents or guardians or, or family friends, if we've done anything to put a stumbling block in a child's way, if we have in some way tempted them to evil, if we've done anything to, to keep them from serving Christ, whether by directly discouraging them from serving the Lord or, or indirectly by not living the kind of life before them that we should have. In short, if we have not been the example that we needed to be and we have not taught them the truth of God's will for their lives, if we have fallen short in our responsibility, then I'm afraid that we are guilty of causing them to sin. And even before a child is old enough to sin, we still are responsible. Everything we do and say is being observed by that child, and it's molding what they will become. Certainly that's a, a huge responsibility. Maybe it's one that we don't even like to think about, but Jesus alluded in Matthew 18 and verse 6 that it's a weight that we all need to make sure doesn't drown us, if you will, on the day of judgment. Well, back to our text. While Jesus wanted to, to bless these children to, to show their great value and also to benefit them, He certainly also wanted to take this opportunity to to teach another uh, lesson, and that was to teach a lesson to his disciples about the kingdom and about salvation. When these disciples tried to turn the children away, Jesus called the children to him. In addition, he told the disciples that if a person wanted to get into heaven, that person had to be like a child. In other words, if we want to be saved, we must become like a child. Now, please note that Jesus did not say that we need to become childish. Uh, he said childlike, but not childish. I know there may be a fine line there, but we all know that there are characteristics, if you will, of a child that, that we probably need to avoid as mature adults and Christians. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that when he became a man, he put away childish things, according to 1 Corinthians 13 and 11. And so when it comes to things such as throwing tantrums when we don't get our way. We know that that's common among children. It should not be common among adults. 
Um, we might expect to see that from a child, but, but we don't expect to see it from Christians in the church, certainly. And, and there are many other examples that we could probably think of. That's not the kind of example that Jesus wants us to learn from children. So what does it mean to be like a child? Then? What childlike characteristics did Jesus have in mind when he said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it? Well, for the remainder of our time this morning, I want to notice with you four ways in which I think we should seek to be childlike. And the first is in our humility. How often have we seen a young child get to the, the point of doing something and then all of a sudden become too shy? It's as if they get stage fright even when they're not on stage. And you may say hi to a little boy or girl and, and they run and hide behind their mother's skirt. Young children have not learned to, to push themselves forward. Pride is not part of their thinking yet. And so I think it's no coincidence that Luke records this incident of Jesus and the children right after the story of the Pharisee and the sinner in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. I won't read the whole text there, but I think you remember the story, how there was a self-righteous Pharisee uh, who, you know, was doing everything for display and... and when he, even when he prayed, said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. Uh, and Jesus said he was not righteous in the sight of God. On the other hand, there was the sinner who was very humble, uh, confessed his condition to God, and Jesus pronounced him forgiven. That Pharisee, if he had been humble enough, he too could have been justified. But instead, he suffered from pride. And as I said, right after that parable, Luke follows up with this account of Jesus blessing the children. And so I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the story of the children or Jesus' lesson from the children has to do with humility. We read earlier from Matthew, the 18th chapter, where Jesus used a child on a different occasion to, to teach this very lesson about humility. The disciples had asked him, and in fact they had even argued at some point, about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's that pride coming out. And so Jesus used a child to illustrate that it would be he who humbled himself like a child that would be greatest. And just as Jesus used a child, Peter would use Jesus himself as an example of humility. Philippians 2 verse 8, he told us to strive to be like Christ, Paul rather, uh, to be like Christ who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. A humble submission to God and his will are necessary for salvation. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, am I a, a humble person or do I try to make others take notice of me? Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. We are no better than the person next to us. We all have our own weaknesses and faults that we hope, I hope, are, are trying to work through. We need to remind ourselves of that when we deal with others, when we're tempted maybe to, to look down on others. We need to adopt the attitude described by the psalmist. In Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2, he said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In short, we need the humility of a child. But another characteristic that, that children have that we all need to strive to imitate 
is that of honesty. You can't deny that children have an innate sense of honesty that, that separates them from adults. Children speak what's on their mind. That sometimes may embarrass us as parents, uh, but at least they're being honest. Honest. I read a story about a preacher who arrived uh, for the first time in a small town, and he had a letter that he wanted to mail, and so he stopped a small boy to, to ask where the post office was. And after the boy told him, the preacher said, If you'll come to church tonight, you can hear me tell people how to get to heaven. The little boy's honest response was, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> Again, maybe too honest, but um, that's how children are. Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, the famous American writer, once said, Pretty much all the honest truth-telling there is in the world is done by children. That's a sad commentary on our society, but perhaps it's true. A few years ago, there was a, a TV series on humans and how we act and develop. And uh, in one episode about growing up, they set out to find if children could lie, if they could deceive. And it was done very simply. They took a coin uh, that the children were asked to hide in their hands. And the children were shown how to play the game. And then after a while, they were given the coin so that they could do it. And so they were supposed to hold it in one of their hands and not give away which one it was in. Turns out that children up to the age of four just simply could not do it. They would make it obvious which hand the coin was in. They could not deceive. After the age of four, they were able to start fooling the adults. They had learned to deceive. And as simple and innocent as that experiment might be, I think it teaches us an important lesson. When it comes to honesty, once again, children seem to be the best example. Dishonesty can take many forms, but unless we're just bold-faced liars, the form that we probably have to deal with the most is the form that, that shows itself as deceit. And it may be in half-truths, or little white lies, as we sometimes call them. It may show itself as, as seeking to blame others when in truth we are in the wrong. But if we deceive in any way, can we fully be trusted? On the other hand, honesty speaks for itself. I like this uh, phrase that Jacob used in Genesis 30 and verse 33. He said, my honesty will testify me, testify for me in the future. In other words, I will keep my word, and, and that will show you that I'm uh, truthful. If we're to enter the kingdom of heaven, if we are to lead others with us, then we certainly need to strive to adopt the honesty of a child, and we need to, to unlearn, unlearn, if we can, any dishonesty and deceit that we so often adopt as adults. Well, next, another way that children uh, teach us a lesson is in their ability to extend forgiveness. How many times have you seen a child get upset or angry at someone, and then five minutes later they're playing with that person again? <clears throat> Maybe you've seen a child spanked or disciplined in some way by their parent, but before long they come crawling into mom or dad's lap again. Thankfully, a child doesn't keep those hard feelings bottled up for long. They forget about them and they move on. It's one of those things that um, makes a child so happy, I believe. <clears throat> Wouldn't the world be a happy and a better place if we as adults could do the same thing? Forgive and forget. If we could just forget the bad things that have been done to us, how much happier would we be? And I'm not just talking about those big, horrible things, although that would certainly be healthy too, but, but even the little things that we keep locked up in our heads, we need to learn a, a pattern of thinking that, that lets go of those past hurts. 
If we spend time thinking of them, then it does good to know one, and most of all, us. If we're thinking of things that can be dealt with, then, then deal with them. and Put them to rest. And if they can't be dealt with, then just let them go. How often did, did Jesus teach his disciples to forgive? In Matthew 18, 22, he said that we should forgive our neighbor not seven times, but 70 times seven. And he also taught that the lengths that we go to forgive our fellow man, that same measure would be used to forgive our own sins. In Matthew 6 and 14, he said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In Matthew 7 verse 2, he said, though, For with what judgment or condemnation you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Forgiveness certainly is necessary if we hope to make heaven our home. And I think that's something that we can learn from our children. Well, finally this morning, one last characteristic of children that we want to, <clears throat> to note and that we want to strive to achieve is that of trust and obedience. Brother Nate made this point in his study of Peter uh, just this past Wednesday night. And if you weren't able to be here, I encourage you, once he gets that posted um, on our website, listen to that lesson about Peter. I think, I think the title was, and Peter stepped out of the boat or something along those lines. But again, it was a very, very good lesson. But he pointed out how we often focus on Peter's doubts and, and his failures. But in reality, he was an excellent example of trust and obedience. Peter, after all, was the one who got out of the boat. And the same can be said of children. A child possesses a, a simple faith, a wonderful ability to trust and act on that trust. You've probably all seen the scene, maybe you've been a part of this, where uh, the young child is standing at the edge of the swimming pool and dad or mom is standing in the water with open arms saying, jump, I'll catch you. You can trust me. And almost without fail, that's exactly what the child does. He trusts and he jumps. Well, unfortunately, because those of us who are older have been lied to and we've been manipulated, and we've been taken for granted at times in our life, we've learned a tendency to doubt and be skeptical and to mistrust. And so when God says, go ahead, I will catch you. Just You can trust me. We say we believe Him. Sometimes we don't jump. We don't follow through. What I'm trying to get at here is, again, not only trust, but obedience. Children, for the most part, are our example when it comes to obedience. They accept authority. They are guided by their parents, and that authority is unquestioned. Now, I know there are times when even a young child can be stubborn, um, but there's still that instinct, I think, to turn and to trust and to obey their parents or their grandparents or their, their um, authority figures. And why is that? Why do children obey their parents? Well, it's because they have a faith that believes everything their parents tell them. Because they trust that parents know and will do what's best for them. Because they love their parents and want to please them. Because they have a healthy fear or respect of their parents. And they know the consequences of not obeying. Well, now apply all of those things to us as Christians. Um, all of these things play a part in a child's faithful obedience. And I hope that you can see that all of these things also should motivate us to obey God. Let me back up to the beginning of that list. Children have a faith that believes everything their parents tell them. Shouldn't we have a faith that believes everything that God has told us? Children have a trust that parents know and will do what's best for them. Shouldn't we too trust God and know that He has our best interest in mind sometimes when we don't even understand it? 
It's not our thoughts. It's not our way that we would do it, maybe. But again, we have to have that trust in God. Children have a healthy, uh, or rather have a love for their parents. and makes them want to please them. Again, we should love our Heavenly Father and want to please Him. And then children also have a healthy fear uh, that plays a part, a respect, if you will. And they know the consequences of not obeying. And most certainly, we too should have a healthy fear, a respect for God, and for His punishment should we not obey Him. That old song that we used to sing, Trust and Obey, one of the lines in the song says, What He says we will do, where He sins we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. And the fear there is not meaning not to not fear God. We, we again, should have a, a healthy fear or respect of God. But never fear whatever He may tell us to do. Not fear what's ahead of us. The chorus goes on to say, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If we want to be happy in our Christian life, that's the key. Again, think of the, the trustful and the obedient nature of a child. And think how happy children are. They adopt that same frame, or rather we should adopt that same frame of mind. We need to make the same resolution that the children of God made in Joshua 24 and 24 when they declared, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. Well, in closing this morning, I hope that you've gained something from our study. I hope that it will help us to realize the, the great value and importance that God places on children and realize the responsibility that we have to, to love them and to teach them His ways. I also hope that it will help us to, to learn from our children. Think about what Jesus saw in them. Their characteristics such as humility and honesty and forgiveness and trust and obedience. If you have children in your family, then thank God for the reminder that He's given you. And if not, look at those around you. Take their lessons to heart. We are certainly blessed with many children here in our congregation. And I hope that we all appreciate them and, and love them and, and will always have their best interests in mind. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in God by obeying His will. And we encourage you to, to take that step today. Come to Him through faith, through repentance, through confession, and through baptism. Or if you've once taken those steps but you have not remained faithful and you would like the prayers of the church, then we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.